participate in that. It's a great time to go serve the kids there at the, uh, at the uh, home there in, in Camarillo. So with that, I'm going to transition us into our lesson for today. And I do want to welcome you. My name is Joe Collins, and uh, I am the minister here at Simi Church. And it is great to be with you this morning. I want to thank you for coming to church this morning. I also want to remind you that last week, you know, we talked about our... That's right, we have kids' class today, so I'm going to dismiss the kids to their classes. You're free to head out at this time. Now, last week, as the kids are making their way out, uh, we learned that uh, at Simi Church... You can say it with me if you remember. We believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. That is what we believe. That's front and center as a church in our conviction and in our practice and in our, <coughs> and in our, in our belief. <coughs> today I want to continue talking about what we believe at Simi Church. And I want to talk about Jesus. And what do we believe about Jesus specifically? Now, I could go on for a long time talking about what we believe about Jesus. I am not saying that this is everything we believe about Jesus. I'm just saying this is one of the, one of the foundational things. This is one of the things that I want to, uh, that, that, that needs to be said and believed about Jesus before anything, before anything else. And that is that we believe Jesus is Lord. That he lived a sinless life, that he died on a cross, and he rose to life again. I have a picture on the screen. And uh, I don't know about you, but I was very blessed last year to be able to take a vacation with my wife to Italy. And, uh, man, it was a vacation of a lifetime. We were, we were thrilled to go. And if you're like me and you're a history person, Italy is, is overwhelming because everything is history in Italy. <laughs> and, and it's all levels of history. There's all kinds of history. Uh, you can go back to early man and pre-Christian and Christian and then the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, World War II. I mean, on and on it goes. It's all there, just layer after layer. And, and it was an amazing uh, thing for me. I mean, I just, I just soaked everything up. I, I had such a great time. And one, one of the things that caught my attention... Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm okay. One of the things that caught my attention... <clears throat> when I was there walking through the Roman Forum, was this site right here that you see behind me. It's a picture of Julius Caesar's tomb. Now, I share it with you because uh, for, for a couple reasons. One, if you don't know what the Roman Forum is, I didn't know what it was either until I got there, and then I saw it, and I went, oh, this is very interesting. I had no idea. For some reason, I thought the Roman Forum was like a building. But the Roman, Roman form is actually a neighborhood. It's not a building, it's a neighborhood. So like we have Chinatown, well they had the Roman Forum. And the Roman Forum was where all the temples were. So you know, whenever you went to worship or offer your sacrifices to Jupiter or Saturn or whatever god uh, you worship, you would go to the Forum and to the temple of whatever that god was in the Forum and there's where you would practice your religious activities. It was all kind of contained in a in a specific neighborhood. Now, Julius Caesar's tomb was of interest to me because Julius Caesar is a well-known figure in history. I mean, the guy was a Renaissance man. I mean, he, in his day, he was unlike really anybody the world had ever seen. We still talk about the guy today and his impact on the world. <clears throat> he was a 
general, and he was actually pretty good at being a general. He conquered all of Gaul, which is modern-day France. He was a statesman. He was pretty good at that. He became Caesar of the Roman Empire. He was a, a politician. He was a writer. He was a historian. I mean, Julius Caesar was writing his own history as he was doing the, the, the historical acts. As he was conquering Gaul, he was recording the history of his conquest of Gaul. He was a ladies' man. I mean, he's the kind of guy who, who you know, as he's conquering a nation, he's writing a book about it, he's uh, uh, politically becoming nominated to be the Caesar of Rome, and he's got three or four uh, affairs going on at the same time. I mean, that's the kind of guy Caesar Augustus was. I'm not saying he was all good. <clears throat> I'm just saying he was a really standout figure in human history. And it's the reason why he has a temple dedicated to him, his burial site in the Roman Forum. He was the first person, citizen of Rome, to be given a temple in the Forum. You see, prior to that, there were only temples to gods. No human was considered a god. But Julius Caesar, after his death, his adopted son Augustus, deified him by giving him a temple in the form, and people could go and worship him and offer sacrifices to him. He became a god to them. Now, it was a little self-serving of Caesar Augustus because he wanted to be a god too. And so he figured, well, if the first Caesar was a god, I'm the second Caesar, so I get to be a god too. And it kind of went from there and went some pretty bad places. But nonetheless, that's why this tomb stood out to me, this temple. Just all of that history and all of that story behind it. But even with all of Julius Caesar's accomplishments, he wasn't God. Even though they called him God and people worshipped him as Lord, he wasn't either of those things. As a matter of fact, we know he wasn't sinless. And we know he didn't raise from the dead, and he's still buried somewhere today. He's probably ashes now or dust now, but his body never came back to life, and, and he remained in that tomb, and now his tomb is even in disarray, and it's just a curious place for people to stop, like me, that love history and stare at it for a few minutes and think, wow, that's pretty cool. <clears throat> the distinction of Lord is something that the Caesars of Rome tried to give themselves, a title they tried to give themselves. And in many ways, some of them were pretty amazing people and did some pretty amazing things, but none of them are the Lord. That distinction is reserved for Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's pray, and we're going to turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Father, we are grateful to be here today, and I do ask for your spirit to infill me right now and to speak through me. Get me out of the way and let your spirit teach this lesson today to all of us, myself included. I pray that we walk out of here with a deeper conviction of who your son, Jesus Christ, really is, was, and is to this day, and that that makes a difference in how we live our lives going forward. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's 
uh, by, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, as you know by now, if you've been uh, coming to our series here on the church, Acts chapter 2 is the record of the birth of the Christian church. <clears throat> it happened in the late spring of 80, 30, or 33, depending on your calendar, in Jerusalem on a holiday known as Shabbat, which we call Pentecost, which was a Jewish holiday that celebrated the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai. Pious Jews from all over Jerusalem, from all over the land, would come to Jerusalem and they would celebrate when all of a sudden some pretty miraculous things happened. There was this loud noise like a thunder, there was this fire that descended from heaven, and there were these foreign languages that were miraculously being spoken. And all this occurred at a gathering of some of Jesus' followers. Now, this commotion was so significant that it drew a crowd from all over the city to come and find out what was happening here. This is a strange event. And many wondered, what could this mean? And Peter, one of Jesus' followers, stood up and he began to explain what it all meant. And we've been talking about this now for a couple of weeks. He started by appealing to scripture because him Peter like us at Simi Church believe that the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today but that's not all that Peter said because in verse 23 he also called Jesus a man accredited by God and I want to focus on that statement for a minute now, the crowd that was gathered, many of whom, there were many thousands in the crowd at this point, and many of them, if not most of them, knew who Jesus was. They'd either heard about him or even witnessed him in person, but they were very aware of who he was. He was a person of quite of a reputation at this point in history. All over Palestine the name of Jesus was known. He was recognized as a miracle worker, a healer, and as a good teacher. Now, some considered him to be apostate or blasphemous, but by and large, people had a very, fairly positive view of who Jesus was. Many of those same people that were in this crowd listening to Peter called Jesus a man accredited by God were also in Jerusalem just seven weeks earlier celebrating Passover. That was another holiday when Jews from all over the land would come and celebrate in the city of Jerusalem. Many of them may have been on the street, on the road, cheering for Jesus as he entered into the city on Palm Sunday, only to be cursing his name maybe four days later when he was dragged through the streets to his crucifixion. Still others had heard the rumors. By this point in time, rumors were going around that Jesus had resurrected from the dead, that he had come back to life. He had been crucified, like I said, just seven weeks earlier. He remained in the tomb for only a short time, and after three days he rose to life again, and then that, got, that started to spread, that message. People started hearing about this. And so now, at this point, there's some question in the air about 
What's going on? You could imagine being a, a, a Jew that came in on, on Passover. You saw Jesus. You were celebrating his entry. You thought, oh my gosh, this is him. He's the Messiah. We're excited. This is a great guy. He, he's the guy we've been waiting for. And then all of a sudden you hear bad things about him. And then the next thing you know, they're dragging him away to crucify him. And so maybe you're like, boo-boo, Jesus, you're not who we thought you were. Then you go home and then you start hearing rumors, well, maybe he's back to life. So you could imagine that people came back on this Pentecost, on this Shavuot, with the intention to find out what the latest about Jesus was. There were probably many in the crowd like, what's happening now? I mean, this, this is the original, you know, cliffhanger. You know, those TV shows that always end on a cliffhanger and then you got to come back and watch it again. What's that, that old show, 24, like every hour of the day? And, and it always ended where like, darn it, what's going to happen? And you had to come back the next week to find out what happened for the next hour. I always thought that show was funny because he never like slept. There was never like four hours of just him sleeping. But there's always a, a cliffhanger, right? Well, here's the cliffhanger. They're back. What, what was going on? I mean, we're hearing some crazy stories. Some of these people in the crowd even had witnessed maybe some of Jesus' miracles. One of them was pretty significant. We'll talk about that in a second. So when Peter called Jesus a man accredited by God, he was making a very specific claim about Jesus. Now, to refer to someone as accredited in and of itself is not a unique term. Kings, priests, prophets were considered accredited by God. Even everyday believers could be considered accredited by God at certain situations. But Peter didn't talk about any of them. He also mentions that Jesus performed miracles. Again, many in the crowd may have witnessed some of those miracles. This, too, is a rare description, but even that is not unique. The Bible is full of stories who, of people who performed miracles. So it was a small fraternity of people, but it wasn't totally unique. But again, Peter didn't talk about any of those people. In verse 24, 23 and 24, he mentions that Jesus died and resurrected. Now we're getting in to a pretty, to pretty rarefied air. I mean, that's now a pretty unusual statement to make about someone. But even that isn't completely unheard of. If you were a religious Jew, you would have known the stories in the Old Testament of different people. There's at least 10 recorded in the Bible of people that resurrected from the dead. And there's a few in the New Testament, and one of them was a man named Lazarus, which happened just maybe six, five, four or five months before this, and he might have been known to many of the people in the crowd. So as rare as it was to say that Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, that didn't make him completely, totally unique. The thing that Peter says about Jesus that cannot be said about anyone else. And the thing that I think he was referring to when he talked about accredited by God, he was accredited by God in a way that no one else could be accredited, is found at the end of this statement in verse 24, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. As great as Caesar, Julius Caesar was, he stayed dead once he died. 
And as awesome as anybody else was that may have died and somehow rose to life again through some sort of miracle, they didn't come back to life because death couldn't keep them dead. They came back to life because something else acted on them in a miraculous way and brought them back to life. But Jesus couldn't stay dead. He was a man accredited by God through miracles, wonders, and signs and through his resurrection, which was unlike any other resurrection anyone had ever heard of or even know, seen or heard of. The only person that ever walked this earth that it could be said it was impossible for death to keep its hold on was Jesus Christ. Verse 25, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the way of life. You will make me full of joy with your presence. I don't know about you, but I've read the Bible a lot. Many of you have, may have read this passage a lot, Acts chapter 2. It's a popular passage of the Bible for people to read. But for me, I often skip through all these verses that I'm reading now. I mean, I read them, but I don't really stop and think about them because I want to get the, to the climax at the end of Peter's sermon. And we'll get there. But recently, I spent some time just walking through Peter's statements here. And I find them absolutely fascinating. Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a, 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 a theologian, a trained theologian, but he had spent a lot of time with Jesus and he knew his Bible stories from his youth and from growing up. And he was a religious guy. And he, in his limited knowledge, goes through one of the most incredible Bible studies that even a theologian, I think, would even put to shame a theologian. And the first thing he says after describing Jesus as being accredited by God, accredited in a way that no one else who ever lived could be accredited. The very next thing he says is he talks about, he, he starts talking about King David and he quotes King David, who to the Jews was the closest thing to an accredited person that they would have revered like the Romans would have revered Caesar. So King David was, was, was the nuts, right? I mean, he was the stuff. He was the guy that Jews looked back at and like, that's, that's the model right there. And even King David is quoted by Peter in Psalm 16 as implying that he too is not going to stay dead. Even in Psalm 16, David writes this psalm. He's talking about himself at first glance. And it looks like he's saying that I will not see decay, that I'm going to raise from the dead. The problem was, as Peter's going to point out next, is that David didn't raise from the dead. He was still dead. Verse 29, brothers, I may speak confidently to you concerning the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. <gasps> David lied. David's a false prophet. But being a prophet... 
and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of his seed, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foresaw this and spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his son was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter says, listen, I know that this is a bit of a, of a hard pill to swallow about Jesus because you've heard a lot of things. You've seen some things and you've, and you've heard some other things. But I'm telling you, he's the real deal. Let me, let me talk about David for a second. We thought David was the real deal, but David died and is still dead. His tomb is here with us to this day. And so even though David said, hey, I'm not going to stay dead forever, Peter realizes that David must have been referring to someone else when he wrote Psalm 16. One of his descendants, who David called Christ, which means anointed or accredited who could not stay dead. He goes on, verse 32. God raised up this Jesus, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David has not ascended to the heavens, yet he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the house of Israel assuredly know that God has made this Jesus, whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So he talks about David, and then he quotes, he mentions that David said he wouldn't die, but obviously David did die and stayed dead, so David must have been talking about someone else. And then he directly connects Jesus to the Christ that David referred to, to that anointed, accredited person that would come after David, one of David's descendants. He said, Jesus of Nazareth is the guy David was talking about. But unlike David and Caesar or anyone else for that matter, this guy, Jesus, he couldn't stay dead. Now, I'm going to blow your mind for a second. The Bible tells us that some 500 people witnessed Jesus resurrected. I'm guessing... Many of them were in the crowd. Can you imagine? You heard about this guy, Jesus. You went and heard him speak. He's pretty amazing. Maybe you've seen a miracle. Maybe you started thinking, gosh, this guy's like, maybe he's God. I don't know. What, what's the deal with this guy? You're in Jerusalem when he comes in. You're cheering, saying, Hosanna in the highest. You're praising God. You're laying palm branches down on the ground as he comes walking in. Then a couple days later, next thing you know, he's arrested. He's being dragged off and crucified. And so now you're not sure. You leave. You go home. You're wondering for seven weeks, what the heck just happened? You come back excited to hear part two of the story. You're hearing rumors now that maybe he did not uh, stay dead, that maybe he's resurrected. And you bump into him. You're one of those lucky 500 that happens to see him. And you're still trying to figure out what's going on. And so you, you're in Jerusalem and all of a sudden all these miracles start to happen. Tongue, fire, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You wander over there because now you're just like, where is this going? And Peter starts trying to explain to you that, hey, this Jesus, he was accredited by God. He's actually the anointed one that even King David talked about. You're just like, whoa, what's happening? Many in the crowd were in that very same state of mind. What is happening here? 
In verse 36, <clears throat> I'm sorry, in 33, Peter says that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God. That phrase basically means he was deified. He was recognized as God because the only person that can exist at the right hand of God is someone equal to God. Now, <clears throat> now we're getting pretty intense. Wait a second. This guy, Jesus, he wasn't just another David, but he was actually the Christ. I mean, we're not talking just about a, a great guy. We're talking about, oh my gosh, he's more than that. He's an amazing guy. He's God. And so Peter concludes this statement by saying, that Jesus was both Lord, God, and Christ, David's anointed descendant. Which now brings me to the second thing that we believe at Simi Church, and it's associated with the first thing. We believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. In it, we learn that Jesus is Lord. That he lived an accredited life, a sinless life, an anointed life. That he died and he rose to life again. That's the second thing we believe at Simi Church. Not second because it's second of importance, it's just second in the order. We start with God's word, the Bible, and in it we learn that Jesus is Lord. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, duh. Of course. We all know that. That's why I'm at church. And we've known that for 2,000 years, Joe. Thanks. Thanks for telling me something I already know. Well, I hope you can appreciate at least that for Peter and his time, they were figuring it out on the day. I mean, that's pretty impressive that Peter was putting all this together right then and there and coming to this realization, something that we just take for granted all the time because we've heard it for 2,000 years. But for Peter, he was putting the pieces together and what an amazing message that was and what an amazing point that is. But I also want to remind you that it's still an amazing point. No matter how many times you've heard it and no matter how many times you've even said Jesus is Lord and believe Jesus is Lord, it's still amazing. It's still incredible to think about that he was the only person that ever lived who's both God and man, that he was accredited by God. He performed miracles, wonders, and signs. He died and he rose to life because death couldn't keep him down. What a life. We don't have a tomb because he's not in it. But I want to wrap up and maybe answer your, or challenge your, what you're thinking right now. Challenge that statement that, okay, Joe, I already know this. What's the, what's the big deal? Let me close out with one scripture in Romans. It's written by a man named Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul, St. Paul. He was a follower of Jesus a little bit later than the other guys, but he was perhaps one of the greatest influencers for the Christian faith in all of history. He too witnessed the resurrected Jesus at a much later date. 
changed his life forever. I want to read what he said as we close. Romans 8, verse 11, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Why am I taking the time? And why is it so important for us at Simi Church every Sunday to remind ourselves that we believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. And in it, we learn that Jesus is Lord. He lived a sinless life, died and rose to life again. Why is that so important? Well, simply put, because if you believe that he is the Lord and he died and resurrected, then you are going to die and resurrect also. Now that ought to change the way you live. That belief alone ought to make a big difference in your life even today. My wife and I watched Jumanji. <clears throat> now, I, I was trying to figure out how do I explain which one. It wasn't the original one with Robin Williams, but I guess it was the one in the middle because now there's another one out. So I guess it was the first one with Rock and, and, the Rock and, and Jack Black. And uh, I kind of liked it because it wasn't, an, it, I thought it was a remake, but it actually was kind of a whole different same idea, but different story, and I really liked it. And I liked the whole thing that they got sucked into a video game. And if you've seen the movie, spoiler alert, have you seen the movie? Yeah. Is it old? Has it been out for a while? <laughs> Tells you where I'm at. Okay, so they discover that they have life bars on their arm, right? So they have like so many lives. I think it's three lives, like in a video game, because they get sucked into a video game. And they have these, they look like tattoos, but really they're life bars. One of them dies and the bar disappears. The bar disappears ways the bar disappears and they realize oh that's my life bar so like a video game like, oh I got three lives well they get all excited for the most part because heck if you knew you had three lives you'd have a lot of fun with the first two <laughs> but in the movie they did and they did some pretty daring things and all that and but when they got down to one bar they suddenly started worrying about themselves That's not the reason why I'm reminding you that Jesus is Lord. The reason I'm reminding you that Jesus is Lord and that he's overcome death is because you have one life bar that doesn't go away now. It doesn't, you don't have to worry about it. It's not like you get three, two chances and then if you, on the third, you're out. Sorry, it's not three strikes, you're out. You have one bar and that bar doesn't go away because Jesus his bar didn't go away. And so he's given that life to you. Now that ought to make a difference in how you live. What might you be different? What might you do differently now that you know that? I don't know for you, but I was thinking about myself and I was thinking about Living in faith, not in fear. I was thinking that I'd be a lot less concerned about my mistakes, more concerned about my purpose. I was thinking that I'd be a lot less concerned 
about other people's failings and more concerned about their salvation. I was thinking that I'd be a lot less worried about world events and a lot more concerned for the people affected by them. You name it. But knowing that I have a life bar that never goes away because Jesus is Lord. He lived a sinless life, died on a cross and rose to life again and has now given that life to me. It's going to change the way I live. So say it with me. We believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. In it we learn. Jesus is Lord. He lived a sinless life. Died on a cross. And rose to life again. Now go and live like it. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to close in a word of prayer. And you will be dismissed to enjoy some fellowship. Father, it is so incredible to think about what happened some 2,000 years ago on Pentecost. That your son, Jesus, had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and poured out his Holy Spirit upon his believers and they began to tell the world that they don't have to live in fear anymore. Fear of failure, of death, but that they could live lives of faith because their life is guaranteed by Jesus's eternal life. Thank you for that realization, and may we leave here wanting to be different, wanting to live in faith and not fear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great fellowship. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles If you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker if you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, a savior, he's a prison shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves wanting. We've all run to things we know just ain't right And there's a better life There's a better life
If you feel alone 